Welcome back to America's First 50 Years, our podcast about early American history. I'm Chris McKenna, and with me is my co-host, Kathy Conroy. Hi, Chris. In this podcast, we're going to discuss the period from the Declaration of Independence to the plans made for the Constitutional Convention in May of 1787. In the summer of 1776, the colonists had approved the Lee Resolution, had declared their independence from Britain, and formed a constitution for the Confederation of States. Interestingly, it took until March of 1781, almost five years later, for the last state to ratify the Articles of Confederation. And by October of the same year, 1781, the British surrendered at Yorktown and the Revolutionary War was effectively over. Now, the colonists had been engaged in military action with the British since the spring of 1775 with the Battle of Lexington and Concord. And now, with the majority of the fighting ending with the British surrender in October of 1781 at the Battle of Yorktown, the colonists had invested some seven and a half years in battle. As you know, Chris, in creating these podcasts for the first 50 years of American history, we had a lot of discussion about how much detail we would devote to the various battles comprising the Revolutionary War. And we came to the conclusion that by itself, the war could be its own podcast and series of episodes, and that our podcasts were really designed to focus on the politics and the personalities during the first 50 years that contributed to the country, the Constitution, and the government structure that we have today. Therefore, we decided that we were not going into any detail about the battles of the Revolutionary War. However, by all means, the British soldiers were better equipped and funded militarily. And in many respects, it was a miracle that the Confederation of States won the war. However, the Alliance of France, who provided money, additional troops, and naval support, is considered by many to be the major contributing factor to the turning point of the American Revolution. And it was the French Navy blockade of Chesapeake Bay that trapped the exit of the British and was the critical point in helping the Confederation of States end the war with a decisive win at Yorktown and the surrender of British General Cornwallis. We do want to make a a few high-level comments about the war, though, and share some interesting stories that involve women and some of their contributions during the war. First, some highlights. With the help of Ben Franklin in Paris in 1778, the states signed the Treaty of Amity and Commerce and the Treaty of Alliance with France. Obviously, the French had an incentive to align with us, as they had always been fighting with the British, and had lost territory to them in the French and Indian Wars. And they saw America as a good and needed trading partner. In the Treaty of Amity and Commerce, France recognizes the Confederation of States as an independent country and a trading partner. 
In the Treaty of Alliance, the Confederation of States and France create a military alliance against their common enemy, Great Britain, by mutually agreeing to make their best efforts to continue fighting against Britain, and that neither country will enter into a separate peace agreement with Britain. The treaty also noted that American independence would be a condition of any peace agreement with the British. Now, the winter of 1779 was perhaps the low point for George Washington as the commander-in-chief uh, for the Confederation of States. History notes that Washington had almost lost hope, pleading for more money and for more able-bodied men to come forth and save the country. The Confederation of States prints more currency, but this time it's not backed by gold or silver. It's simply backed by future tax revenues. The currency then ended up facing some devaluation issues and inflation started to run rampant. History reports that the cost of goods from the beginning of the war to the end of the war increased about eight times. As a side note, many states were also printing their own currency. As a result of war and inflation, many in the states were suffering. Many people who came forward to fight in the war never received the pro their promised payment and returned home to work on their farms only to be faced with taxes uh, imposed on them by their state to pay for debts. Many of these farmers didn't have the money to pay the tax, and depending on the state, some of them faced the loss of property or livestock for the payment of taxes. After the British surrender at Yorktown, Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, who would ultimately become our second president, and John Jay, who would actually become our first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, are involved in negotiating the Articles of Peace. Key areas they negotiated in that agreement were America's boundaries, which were to the Mississippi River, along with navigation rights on the Mississippi, America's fishing rights off Newfoundland, and the settlement of certain debts. In May of 1784, Two and a half years after Yorktown, these two countries, America and Britain, sign the Treaty of Paris. Now, for some more entertaining stories, Chris, let's talk about some of the roles that women had during the approximate six to seven year war with the British. Perhaps the most famous woman in the Revolutionary War was the woman we think of as Molly Pitcher. But she wasn't a single historical figure, but a composite folk hero inspired by the actions of many different women. Women during the Revolutionary War would follow their husbands from camp to camp, and they would take care of the daily life of camp. They would clean it, they would cook food, they would bring water to the troops, they'd load ammunition. So women played a role mostly as support, but in some cases like the woman we became, who became known as Molly Pitcher, took an active place in uh, an active role in combat. Legend says that Mary was carrying water for the troops at the Battle of Monmouth in 1778, but when her husband was wounded, she abandoned her water jugs and took up loading the artillery in his place. According to a soldier who was writing in his journal, this is quoting the soldier, a woman whose husband belonged to the artillery and who was attached then to a piece in the engagement, attended with her husband at the piece the whole time. While in the act of reaching for a cartridge, a cannon shot from the enemy passed directly between her legs without doing any other damage than carrying away all the lower part of her petticoat. Looking at it with apparent unconcern, 
She observed that it was lucky it didn't pass a little higher, for in that case it might have carried away something else, and she continued loading the artillery piece. What a sense of humor. I guess it better my petticoat than my private parts. And what sang-froid, as the French would say, cold blood and bravery to just keep going after nearly being killed by a cannonball. It is a great story. It is. But not just Molly Pitchers or, or women who followed their husbands and helped with the actual revolution. Women spies were a common thing for the Americans. The British, being kind of straight-laced and upper crust, didn't like searching women. So women were free to carry secret messages to and from. And some were very instrumental in spy rings. Anna Strong in uh, Long Island was a part of the Culper spy ring and developed what was later called the clothesline code. She would hang out on the clothesline varying pieces of clothing or household linens that would indicate to other spies where messages could be retrieved. Lydia Dara, who was a Quaker and therefore very opposed to violence, was a spy for the troops around the Philadelphia area very pro-revolutionary women, and there were a lot of them, and we should learn more about them in history. As you know, Chris, after the Treaty of Paris was signed, each state had its own problems and debts. And although they had the French for trading partners, their ability to trade was a bit constrained because the British had blocked um, access to their ports for the Americans at the end of the war. At this time, we have each state establishing their own currencies, their own taxes, and their own trade rules. And it's really a bit of a mess because each state is acting in their own best interest and not at all in any type of a cohesive unit. The actual Articles of Confederation just were not really being well supported by the states. And the delegates to the Congress of this Confederation of States were losing interest in going to the meetings. Attendance at some of these meetings was so low that they didn't even get a quorum. So a meeting is set for the Congress of the Confederation of States in Annapolis in 1786 to discuss these challenges and problems of the current government structure. But only a handful of states show up for that meeting. Now, this meeting's interesting in a way because it's reported that at this meeting, Alexander Hamilton and James Madison meet for the first time. They're both relatively young in age and close in age, and they develop a special respect and friendship for one another, given their similar ages and the fact that both of them have brilliant minds. And both of them saw the challenges in the current government structure. So the delegates at the Congress or the meeting in Annapolis agree that they're going to meet again in May of 1787. And this future meeting is actually referred to as the Constitutional Convention. And as we will discuss in our next podcast, James Madison uses that intervening year to start working on his ideas for the revision of the structure of the government. He also quietly but relentlessly campaigns for George Washington to attend the planned meeting in Philadelphia in the summer of 1787, as he knows that they need someone of the stature of Washington, who was an American hero, to bring the delegates all together for this important meeting. This meeting in Philadelphia would become what's known now as the Philadelphia Convention, 
that created the Constitution and the government structure we have today. And the debates in Philadelphia on how our three branches of government were created and structured are fascinating and will become the subject of the next several podcasts.